every week we talk to dozens of SaaS founders and operators about the inner workings of growing a business, from the day-to-day minutiae, to inspiration, to the tough decisions, and the mistakes made along the way. You're listening to the SaaS Open Mic Podcast. My name is Olivia Jarvis. Head over to chartmogul.com for more content like this and easy access to your SaaS metrics in just a few clicks. That's chartmogul.com. This week's episode features Adam Jones, the VP of Sales at Vancouver-based, recently IPO'd company, Thinkific. Thinkific is an all-in-one SaaS platform that empowers experts, trainers, and companies to quickly create and deliver stunning courses on their branded site. SaaS companies use Thinkific to create customer and partner learning academies directly into their platforms, driving product adoption, reducing churn, and monetizing online education. Adam is a sales leader with over 10 years experience in SaaS and is passionate about evolving the sales profession. He's now on his third successful startup, and Adam loves to build and scale highly effective sales organizations with a focus on driving positive customer experiences and a happy sales team. Here's my interview with Adam Jones. All right, Adam, thank you for joining me today. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. How are you? Good, good. So as we start the podcast with everybody, please tell us who you are and where you are. My name is Adam Jones. I am located in Vancouver, BC in Canada, and uh, I work for Thinkific as VP of Sales. Fantastic. So this is a fun connection for me. The Vancouver connection is not one that I get to do all the time. And I'll kind of set stage of how we know each other. You and I came across each other in about 2015 at a conference. No, what was it? A hiring fair. And I was a spry young salesperson looking for a job. And uh, we've kind of swirled around the Vancouver tech community in the last few years. And I am excited to speak to you because Thinkific is a really exciting venture in Vancouver. As you guys have just in April of this year, closed your public offering on the Toronto Stock Exchange. So I asked you to join me to talk a little bit about your experience with the IPO. So in terms of your um, history with Thinkific, uh, obviously the company dates back to 2012 and you've been with the business since 2018. I'm kind of curious to start with your journey with the business. Going back to 2018, where do you think your team kind of was then and how have you really dialed things in in terms of getting it right and where you are today? Yeah, it's been an interesting two and a half years, that's for sure. So well, when I when I joined Thinkific, there wasn't a team, so I was actually the uh, uh, hired in as VP of Sales to explore an opportunity. Uh, Thinkific, for those of you who don't know, is a product-led growth company, and up until uh, December 2018, it never really had a formal sales team. They, I mean, they they'd explored different avenues in the past, and there'd been people trying to sell in different areas, but they'd never really kind of fully committed to building a a scalable revenue model um, from uh, from a sales team. So I was brought in to explore that. Um, met with Greg, our CEO, and he took me through where he saw the opportunities being. We uh, we have a lot in common with Shopify, who um, have obviously been incredibly successful with uh, mid market and now enterprise offering in, in Shopify Plus. And and Greg saw an opportunity there which could could be along similar lines, and uh, that's why he brought me in. To explore that. So to kind of answer your question, there wasn't a team as such. I was the team when I first joined. Yeah, that was the, that was part of the challenge. 
Amazing. Greg has been pretty vocal, at least since the IPO has happened, about explaining the fact that you guys have this massive market opportunity. Was that something that he came to you with in 2018 and said, hey, you know, we think we've got something here? Or was he still kind of figuring out what that could look like and you were driving that vision forward? I think he's known that we've had a huge market opportunity for Think of it as a business as a whole uh, for a long time. I think that the target addressable market for uh, knowledge commerce or online kind of uh, for online course sales is the more simple way to put it. Mm. Uh, it's been growing year upon year and, uh, and yeah, really has been a, a, a known opportunity for a while to Greg anyway, or well, he probably wouldn't have started the company, but um, I think the, it was more uh, the opportunity on my side, which was more of a kind of a, to build a sales team and offer a higher, uh, a more upmarket offering. That was always customer driven. We always had we, we had more and more customers coming to Thinkific and wanting to use uh, use the platform for you know when when they could choose many of the plethora of different online learning solutions out there, which are built for bigger businesses. And so it was always customer driven, and that's really where I think Greg originally saw the opportunity, and uh, and we started chatting. Cool. So you and I have talked about this offline. Um, there's something to be said for product-led growth and kind of listening to your customer and figuring out what the needs of your customer are. I mean, for those of you that don't know, Thinkific helps businesses create, market, and sell customized online courses. Let's talk a little bit about the product-led growth piece. What did this look like for you as a sales leader in kind of coaching and creating a team? I think the first step was working out whether we needed a team and whether or not that team was uh, was going to be well, actually, I take an even a step even further back. The first step was trying to understand whether we had product market fit for an audience outside of the of the core audience, which was uh, which is you know solopreneurs, very small businesses looking to monetize a skill. And we'd had up until that stage, we'd had several really successful customers who were a little bit larger. We had uh, Hootsuite, which is another local Vancouver company here, who'd been incredibly successful in creating an online. Academy for their uh, for their customers on Thinkific uh, that had been repeated a couple of times. We had uh, Fiverr who'd come on and they'd actually built an amazing marketing course mar- uh, course marketplace where they were able to sell lots of different educational courses from lots of different instructors. So there was a precedent for it. But before we decided to kind of put our foot down on the gas and build a scalable revenue model, we needed to work out just to ensure that we're pointing in the right direction. And so the first thing we did um, was look at that positioning and think, okay, well, where can we win with the product as it is today? And what is the target addressable market that, that is going to offer, uh, offer the biggest opportunity? And so, so we made a decision that we wanted to avoid true enterprise at that stage. And we actually turned away a six-figure deal with, a, with a, uh, one of the big five banks. Uh, at that stage, we, we made that decision to say, no, we're not going to do all of the compliance and things that you need. Um, and we began focusing on the mid-market. The next step was to look at, well, what type of lead volume do we have coming inbound? Do we have enough inbound leads coming in to sustain one salesperson, two salespeople, and using that volume to try and build a revenue model based on that? Uh, and then if, you know, of course, the answer to that question was no, then we would look at an outbound model and building that out. So, um, so we, we reverse engineered for based on the number of leads coming into the top of the funnel, uh, what a potential sales model might look like. 
And then we began hiring account executives. And uh, the good news for Thinkific was we didn't just have kind of one or two leads dropping through the funnel, which were coming from larger businesses every week. We were we were seeing hundreds of uh, of businesses of you know twenty five plus employees coming onto Thinkific, setting up a free account, and uh, and doing their best to use the use the platform. And, and that was really it was that kind of lead volume that gave us the gave us the ammunition we needed to then go and say, okay, well, let's hire some salespeople. And so we did that and began hiring account executives. Fantastic. It's a really interesting pivot when you can move from a sales qualified lead, which is someone who's kind of just poking around and perhaps signs up for a trial to someone that becomes a product qualified lead. And your sales cycle completely changes when somebody comes on board, signs up and starts messing around. When you were kind of growing out this team, were you coaching people on that side of sales, kind of working with the customers based off of what they were already showing you in the product about what they needed and wanted? To a certain extent, we would definitely look at the uh, any behavioral data that we could see within the product, you know, what had they actually done? And now, you know, two and a half years later, we're far more sophisticated on uh, in this area. And I can tell you a little bit more about that down the line here. But um, we would look at, to begin with, we looked at simply demographic data. You know, how many employees on LinkedIn? Which part of the world were they coming from? We, we have a series of onboarding questions in the Think Epic app. And that would help us delineate a little bit from the, the real self-serve audience uh, and be able to try and, try and catch those larger businesses a little bit earlier in their journey with Think Epic. Because, I mean, the, the reason I joined Thinkific and the reason, Greg, I think the, the straw that, camp, that broke the camel's back as it is, um, was we had, Greg had a guy from Uber come on to Thinkific before I joined and um, was doing some research for a platform, for, for a customer education platform for Uber, set up a free account, probably got frustrated with the fact that he get, kept getting told that he was going to be a, a successful solopreneur and uh, build a community and uh, and left about a month later without anybody ever speaking to, to him. And that was in Greg's mind. I was like, okay, that's a missed opportunity. There's something there. And so that was one of the first steps. So we, we actually did something a bit different than a lot of, you know, the traditional predictable revenue model that, you know, many software companies have gone with like BDR or account executive. We hired two levels of account executive. We hired a small business account executive and their role was a little bit of a hybrid. And, and I think this would only work with a product led growth company. Uh, their role was a bit of a hybrid. Part of their role was to be that first line of communication with our customers. And so they would actually be the first one to reach out, get on the phone, and understand the, the customer's business. And if uh, that customer, after having a, a qualification call, it seemed like, you know, uh, this is a smaller business or, you know, maybe they have a very small project, we've always been fine to put them back onto the self-serve path if that's what they want. If they just want to be left alone, test the product, do what they've got to do, then we've always been fine with that. Uh, it was only if after our initial conversation that did seem to be something more the, uh, more of a mid-market or enterprise sales opportunity, they would actually hand that lead over. So we had, we, we, we built this role, which was almost a hybrid BDR account executive, uh, small business account executive. Uh, and then we had a mid-market account executive who would actually take those leads and run with them. And that allowed us to give an amazing experience to the leads coming into the sales cycle, uh, but also to qualify any higher revenue opportunities and make sure that they could be passed over to somebody that was skilled in, in, in managing those type of ops and had the time and inclination to do it. And, uh, and that model worked really well, and we still use it now. We, we have now hired full-time BDRs, and we, now we even have a, another level above mid-market. But um, that was how we originally structured it, and uh, it worked really well. 
That's awesome. Do you think that that helped to kind of define the ICP and kind of start to understand who these buyers were? I mean, you came in and kind of started this from the ground up. Were all of those actions that you were taking kind of informing what we do, what you would eventually become as a sales organization? Definitely as a sales organization. The, the ICP question is one that we, um, it's probably the biggest challenge I think if it actually is, we have such a wide range of customer type using our platform successfully. Everything from, you know, your yoga teacher who decides that uh, maybe they can set up an online course and, you know, starts recording videos for the first time, all the way up to global yoga clothing brands who do all sorts of uh, global education in, in lots of different languages. And in some ways, that's that's the challenge you have when you're looking at product-led growth because there's so many directions you can go in. And if you try and go in too many, you're going to spread yourself too thin. And then you might end up in a situation in five years' time where 30% of your customers want one, one thing and the 70% want something completely different. And that, that's a real challenge around ideal customer profile. I know lots of other businesses have had that challenge as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's what happens when you take the six-figure deal early on and kind of pivot based off of what someone will be willing to pay you and basically what they want rather than what people are perhaps at mass and at scale telling you what they need from your from your business. Definitely. So tell me where you failed. Where did things go wrong? Is there anywhere that you can kind of look back at that journey in the last two-ish years from coming in to no sales team to be now being a publicly traded company that perhaps maybe you went left when you might have gone right? Where did we fail? We, we could have hired faster is probably, if there was one thing that we could have done, I was, and this, this partly came with a chicken in the egg, right? You had to, we had to prove the concept and we had to prove that, hey, I keep adding salespeople in here. We're going to keep seeing them achieve their objective and their quota. And we have enough lead volume to go through. I think we didn't have enough data at that time to really understand the sheer magnitude of actual companies who were coming to us and wanting to use the platform. And so if I had a, a time machine I could go back, I would hire faster and I would really stack up on account executives because I think that had we done that, we had the volume of, um, of, of, of leads to, to support them. The other thing maybe would have been hiring data and operations earlier. I think that we, we had a great data team at Thinkific, but um, they weren't, they were predominantly focused on the core business, not really on sales um, as much as maybe we would have liked. And I think if we dug into the data a little bit earlier, we could have probably set up a better um, lead scoring and lead attribution model, which would have helped us evolve faster and be, become more efficient faster. Well, it's one of those things. It's easy to look back in hindsight and say, yeah, you know, definitely could have done that. But at the time, we were trying to prove a concept and trying to do something a little bit different. So, yeah. Well, I think the cool thing about that is it's not a failure. Like, obviously, you've done exceptionally well and you've been able to grow a team. And now you have this really unique model. Now, obviously, being a sales leader of a publicly traded company might feel a little bit different. Stock price matters. Growth matters. Tell me how you plan for the future now. Are there data points that you're looking at differently? Are you rallying your team in a different way? Has anything really changed for you and the team at Thinkific? Not so far. Um, maybe a little bit in terms of reporting and ensuring that our forecast accuracy is is really, really um, lasered in. And, and that's not that's not not that we didn't have that previously, but now it probably has a bit of additional weight on it. And so, uh, and we are looking to mature our forecasting a little bit further dig into the data a little bit more we have uh we've specialized our teams even more than previously 
Um, and we're obviously going to be expanding globally as well. So as we're specializing our teams, expanding globally, um, looking into how we can scale rather than just grow is, 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 a, big, is a big focus right now. The, the key thing for us has always been, ever since I joined Thinkific, I, I knew I wanted to build something a bit different. And, and I've been part of the boys club sales organizations that is just, you know, dialing for dollars and all of that stuff. And yeah, just, just absolutely determined to, uh, to avoid anything like that in my, in this role. And I also believe that there's an opportunity to, um, to sell and be successful in sales without driving yourself into the ground. And so we were very early on, we set up some guiding principles around, you know, what it was to sell at Thinkific. And so as we've grown and as, and now with the IPO and everything, it's become, it's just our main, our main focus has to be just staying true to those guiding principles and not allowing external um, factors to influence us and make us deviate away from that and become the things that we don't want to be. And that, that, that's, that's, ch- that's challenging, right? Because as you become larger, you're global. Um, there's contrasting influences, which are, which are going to test you, right? And try and get you to deviate away from some of those principles that have got you to, to where you are today. Yeah. I, uh, last May, I did a talk at the Predictable Revenue Conference around sales ethics and helping companies kind of think through the fact that like you have to have guiding principles as a sales team that also come back to your company values and who you guys want to be. Um, and I think that this concept kind of gets missed um, oftentimes in terms of helping salespeople stay on a path that is aligned with the business objectives, as well as with like who you guys want to be known as in market. Tell us a little bit about your guiding principles. Are there anything that you would share with others that have really worked for you guys? Absolutely. Tons. The funny thing was when we were creating these guiding principles, we did a real deep dive into, we hired somebody externally to come in and I kind of said, look, let's get to like the real bottom of Thinkific sales. Like don't let us off the hook, like challenges. Um, and, uh, and it was really good because we were able to talk about what our fears would be in the future and like what other, and then we got into some interesting stuff. Like, you know, people who come from other tech organizations said for the first couple of months at Thinkific, they were kind of like, is this real? Like, is this really the way we're doing things? Like almost like they come out of like an abusive relationship or something. <laughs> or like, am I, am I being treated okay here? Is this, there's, is this going to kind of bounce back and hit me. And, um, and a lot of that was because of these principles. And so one of the ones that I'm really huge on is, um, and the principle itself is more than just a number. And, uh, and that's focused around, you know, in sales, we're all looking at the forecast every Monday morning. We're looking at the, the output. We're always focused on what is the output for this person. And, and that, of course, is important. But it misses a huge amount of context before that number happens. And it misses so many uh, incredible um, sales calls, which might not amount to anything. And it misses um, so many people learning and doing the right things and moving in the right direction that often uh, just things aren't, that aren't recognized. And so... That was huge for us to make sure that we, and it actually came from a conversation with a rep who um, she uh, she wouldn't uh, mind me mentioning this. She she was she actually won an award earlier this year for being an account. I executive. saw that. I know you're speaking about. It. I saw that yeah, on LinkedIn. Give her a shout and, out. <laughs> yeah, right. And so she's one of our most successful reps now, and um, had come from a previous company where she'd really been hammered by her former boss, um, and like had a lot of her confidence dented and was selling at Thinkific and was doing a lot of great things, but just like kind of wasn't, didn't almost didn't have the confidence to try and get over that final step. 
Um, and there's probably companies out there who would have looked at the numbers or the outcomes and said, you know, yeah, it's just not working. This person's not a salesperson. They're not going to succeed and so on. And I, you know, we had a conversation. I was like, look, you're not just a number to me. You're, you're more than that. Um, and this is why, and we went back and we listened to some calls and gave some coaching and, um, she became one of the most successful account executives on the team. And I often think how many businesses would have just ditched, you know, ditched that salesperson and said, ah, oh, this person can't sell. Right. And so for me, so that, that one came organically. And then it's funny, even since then, I've seen, um, Scott Lee and other people like, talk about the same concept that they've got to on their own. And, and it's always the people who are thinking about sales a bit more with a bit more of a progressive lens and challenging the status quo of, you know, maybe what it, what it's, what it's been like for too long. Uh, so that one's huge. I could go on all day about guiding principles. We've got another six of them, but uh, that's the one that always comes to mind. No, I love that one. I think that it's really fundamental. When I met you back in 2000 and whatever it was, 15, the one book that I've read, you and I have laughed about this story before, is To Sell as Human. And I think that that book was the first time that I was like, oh, it's not a personality trait to be a salesperson because I don't want that personality trait. I don't want the, you know, the boys club like kind of feel to what I do. I'm a female in sales and I really want to kind of live by those principles. And I think that we are seeing a shift in sales and we're seeing a shift in these companies that are putting more onus on how a salesperson performs and how those calls go rather than what that number is. And I think that that kind of comes back to the fact that like, if your product is great, your salespeople can shine and teach your business a million things about your customers. Do you guys have a strong relationship from sales to other parts of the business, sales to product, sales to end, sales to success? Tell me a little bit about that. It's, it's growing and getting better all the time. Initially, um, sales was always brought in to the side of the bit. Like when I started at an early leadership meeting and I was kind of like, you know, throwing all of my opinions into the, into the hat. And this was all, all of the executive leaders at the company. And somebody put their hand up and said, Hey, you know, I thought Adam was going to be kind of working up to the side. I didn't realize that because, because there was this fear, right? You're a product like growth company and you have your, your focus on this core audience and you don't want to deviate away from that. And you hear all of these stories like, well, if we deviate away, we're going to, we're going to lose focus and we'll miss our market opportunity here and so on. And so that was a really interesting dynamic early on was, um, and, and really was me just having to hire a team and run without much else. Like we, and then eventually, you know, we hit some revenue numbers and we hired a marketer and, and now we actually have a full customer success team, um, who works just on Thinkific plus, which is our, uh, more mid market enterprise offering. Um, I think that team's up at 10. We have 22 salespeople now. We have a full product team dedicated to Plus. We have a uh, data, couple of data analysts hiring all the time. And so it's grown as a business line to the side rather than cannibalizing our existing resources, which were dedicated to uh, to the core business, which is important. And I think that's, that's advice I would give anybody is to, you know, you, you do have to build and improve in order to be able to grow. That's been one challenge is ensuring we haven't cannibalized those other resources too much. Um, and now we're moving back and bringing the business back together, if that makes sense, and looking at opportunities on how uh, we can actually support our self-serve audience more and actually help them scale up into Plus and what, and, you know, what is that journey. And so that's um, it's interesting because if you do look at a Shopify Plus, they went on a similar journey over a much longer amount of time. They didn't, they've now started bringing Plus a little bit back towards the major mothership 
And uh, we've decided to do that a little bit sooner, still having its own teams and everything like that, but making sure we we aren't missing any opportunities to help our our overall customer base grow into Plus and become a larger success story. So awesome. I mean, I uh, have said for a long time that I've been waiting for a Vancouver win, and it's nice to see a Vancouver-based business kind of really getting this right and putting us on the map again in the Pacific Northwest. Well, we'll leave it there, Adam. If there's anything else um, that you shared, are you active on Twitter? Are you active on LinkedIn? Where can people find you? Yeah, search for me on LinkedIn. It's Adam Jones. Um, you might find uh, an NFL player and a few other Adam Joneses first, but if you're <laughs> Adam Jones, think if I'm there. Uh, I'm fairly active on Twitter as well. It's um, uh, Adam Jones 85, uh, giving my age away always. And yeah, look me up. If, if you have any questions, any questions about the way that we've uh, we've built things at Thinkific, then always happy to help and always happy to support uh, new sales leaders who are, particularly if they have a similar challenge or they're, uh, they're trying to overcome some different things. That's awesome. We get a lot of people asking for uh, sales-specific assistance. So I think that there's a lot of our listeners and a lot of chart mogul users that will probably end up in your inbox at some point in time. Thank you for your time, Adam. It's been such a treat. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks, Olivia. If you enjoyed this week's episode of the SaaS Open Mic Podcast, leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Again, head over to chartmogul.com to try Chartmogul today.